in the last episode, we looked at the origins of the new wave of Filipino expats in Europe in the late 19th century, where before, most Philippine-born travelers to Spain were of Spanish descent. By the 1880s, the emerging native and Chinese mestizo elites were sending their children to universities in Europe. Among these emigres were the writers Gregorio Sancianco and Pedro Paterno, as well as the artist Juan Luna, who bagged a silver medal at the 1881 National Exposition of Fine Arts in Madrid with the death of Cleopatra. Soon, they would be joined by a young medical student from the small town of Calamba, who would carve his own reputation both in Europe and back home. In this episode, we will finally meet the man who will be the protagonist for the rest of this season, one of the founders of a new Filipino nationalism. He would come to gain both supporters and enemies, and eventually inspire a violent revolution. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Jose Rizal. This is Philippine History Z. So far, we have given a rather general picture of the history of the Philippines, that is, the parts that were conquered by the Spanish, from the pre-Spanish period to the mid-19th century. From here on, we're going to start building things up to what would become the most important event in the history of Spanish Philippines, the Philippine Revolution of 1896. To trace the roots of the revolution, we first have to go to Europe where in the late 19th century, a group of young Filipinos campaigned for rights and reforms for the colony. They would end up creating a new kind of nationalism that would spread back to the Spanish Philippines and later inspire Filipinos to kick out the Spaniards once and for all. As the historian Father John Schumacher wrote, while a revolution would have still been possible without them, it would not have been THE REVOLUTION. So for the rest of this season, we are going to focus on the adventures of one particular Filipino in Europe, whose works would inspire Filipinos to be proud of themselves and stand up to tyranny, Jose Rizal. Jose Rizal Mercado y Alonso was born in the town of Calamba, Laguna, on June 19, 1861. His mother, Teodora Alonso, came from a rich family in Manila. On the other hand, his father was a Chinese mestizo named Francisco Mercado, who came to Calampa to establish himself as a farmer. Back then, Calampa belonged to the Dominican Friars, who have owned it since 1883. In episode 5, we talked about how the friars leased their lands to members of the Principalia and Chinese mestizos, who in turn subleased them to share tenants who did the actual farming. Suffice it to say, they made a killing, forming the native upper classes of the colony. This was the case with Francisco Mercado, who became one of the wealthiest men in the province. 
1849, the Spanish government started giving Spanish surnames to the native populace for tax reasons, and Mercado decided to pick an additional surname. Perhaps he wanted a name that could express his hopes for good harvest, and so he chose Rifial, an adjective used to describe lands becoming fertile again. Perhaps due to clerk's mistake, or because someone could not pronounce it right, the name that would be given to Mercado was not Rifial, but Rizal. Most of his family, except for a few brothers, did not adopt that name, and Francisco and his children would continue to use the Mercado name for most of their lives. Then, when Pepe was nine, something happened that rocked his otherwise peaceful childhood. Not long after he returned from the town of Binyan where he had been studying, Teodora was arrested for allegedly helping her brother poison his wife, who was allegedly having an affair with a lieutenant of the local Guardia Civil. The town's gobernadorcillo, whom Pepe called, quote, a crony of the friars, had her arrested. As you can expect, Pepe, who was pretty much a mama's boy, was devastated. One could only imagine the disgust the young Rizal already had for the authorities. The following year, something happened that further shook Rizal's faith in the government. The Cavite Mutiny of 1872 and the execution of Gomburza. Back in episode 6, you may remember me talking about a kid who stopped going to school after being banned from taking his exams. That was none other than Jose's older brother, Pasiano, a member of the liberal student youth who was close to Father Jose Burgos. Burgos's death and the government's subsequent actions further opened Pepe's eyes to the injustices committed by the colonial regime. Years later, Jose would write that had it not been for 1872, he would have become a simple Jesuit priest in Manila. At age 11, Jose's parents decided to enroll him at the Jesuit-run Ateneo Municipal. Pasiano, fearing that the Mercado surname would connect Jose to himself and ruin his chances of getting accepted, told him to use their other surname, Rizal, which he would go by for the rest of his life. With the help of the late Father Burgos's nephew, Rizal was admitted into the Ateneo. In an 1898 news article, this nephew recalled the young Pepe as rarely talking to his classmates except when the topic of the Cavite mutiny and Gomburza came up. While his classmates played tag or hide and seek, Jose spent recess reading the stories of the Spanish writers Tomas de Riarte and Felix Samaniego. It was in school where the young Rizal would first conceive his early ideas of race. Like many Indios, he grew up hearing Spaniards brag about how superior they were, and that the Indios were all lazy and stupid. Years later, he told his friend and confidant, the Austrian Ferdinand Blumentritt, that he once conducted an experiment in the Ateneo Municipal. Rizal observed all of his classmates to see if there really was any difference between the Indios and the Whites. 
and quickly realized that there wasn't. There were smart and hardworking Indios, just as there were dumb and lazy whites, and vice versa. Jose concluded that the Indios were even smarter and more hardworking than the Spaniards, at least the ones he knew back then. After all, they were all being taught in Spanish, a language that might as well be Dothraki for the Indios. If they were all doing equally well, then the Indios must be more hardworking and intelligent than their Spanish counterparts, since they had to make an extra effort to understand their lessons. Rizal also believed that the only reason why the Indios were submissive to the Spaniards was because either they were afraid of the latter or wanted to take advantage of them. While the Spaniards had no idea what the Indios were thinking, the Indios understood them very well and laughed at them behind their backs. This further convinced Rizal that the Indios were smarter than the Spaniards. In his spare time, Jose liked reading novels and learning about history. At age 12, he became obsessed with Alexandre Dumas, the Count of Monte Cristo, eagerly devouring each page like someone today binge-watching One Punch Man. His passion for literature wasn't limited to just reading. He was already writing plays and poems, such as an 1875 ode to Magellan's voyage. Jose was also fond of the arts, learning how to sculpt. You may find some of his sculptures today at the Philippine National Museum. Around this time, Pepe's mother was finally acquitted and released, having spent the last two and a half years in prison. You can probably imagine the joy he felt at finally being reunited with his beloved mother. Throughout his years in school, Rizal excelled in all his subjects, graduating from the Ateneo Municipal in 1877 with high marks in all his classes, as well as bagging almost all of the awards. In his journal, Jose wrote, I went to school still a boy, with scarcely any knowledge of the Spanish language, with a moderately developed mind and nearly without any awareness of my sentiments. I don't know if my current state makes me see the past as beautiful and the present as sad, but it is clear that when I was a high school student, I never wished to leave school, and now I would give anything just to go through that age of youth again. After leaving the Ateneo in April 1877, Rizal started studying medicine at the Dominican-run University of Santo Tomas, a decision motivated by his mother's failing eyesight. There, he joined a literary contest that was open to all races. Previously, separate contests were held for Spaniards on one hand and natives and mestizos on the other, presumably so that the Spaniards could avoid the humiliation of being beaten by an Indio. An all-Spanish jury awarded Rizal first place for his poem, La Juventud Filipina, The Filipino Youth. A year later, a contest was held in commemoration of Miguel Cervantes' death. It was open to all inhabitants of the Philippines regardless of race. Rizal found himself competing against people of various backgrounds, from friars to prominent Spanish journalists. 
In the end, however, the jury awarded Rizal first place for his play, El Consejo de los Dioses, The Council of Gods. It seemed that Rizal was on a roll, winning contests left and right. But misfortune and injustice would not be far behind. A few nights after winning the aforementioned contest, Rizal was strolling along the street when he walked past the lieutenant of the local Guardia Civil without greeting him. The next thing he knew, the officer proceeded to beat the crap out of him before putting him in jail and threatening him with exile. Bruised and wounded, Rizal went to Malacanang hoping to file a complaint, but the governor-general never even bothered to see him. If there was one thing that Rizal learned from this debacle, it's that it did not matter how many awards he got, nor how many Spaniards he bested in their own language. In the end, he was still an Indio, and there was nothing he could do about it. According to some biographers, Rizal and his fellow native students faced discrimination from the Dominican friars, although there doesn't seem to be any mention of this in his correspondence or his journals. While his grades were not as good as when he was in high school, they were still pretty decent. An article written years later would also say that Rizal defended his classmates who were not doing so well, though he himself never got in trouble. Nevertheless, Rizal's stay in the University of Santo Tomas would prove to be transitory, as he was not planning to stay in the Philippines any longer. At 5 a.m. of May the 1st, 1882, he was woken up by his brother Pasiano, who told him to quickly pack his things. Jose got dressed and went down to the dining room to eat breakfast and wait for his carriage. Both his parents were awake, and Rizal kissed their hands. What exactly were Francisco and Teodora Mercado thinking at this moment? Perhaps they thought Pepe was just going out to do some morning errands. Maybe he had an early morning engagement with his friends. Or was he just heading out to get some nice fancy noodles? In any case, unbeknownst to both of them, it would be several years until they would see their son again. Rizal rode his carriage to Manila, where he spent the next two days saying goodbye to his friends and relatives there. He even visited Pedro Paterno, who gave him a letter of recommendation for a friend in Europe. Then, on May the 3rd, Rizal boarded the steamship the Salvadora and sailed for Europe. From the letters exchanged between Jose and Pasiano, as well as Jose's own journal, it's clear that the brothers had planned the trip for some time, and that there was more to it than just better medical education abroad. In one of these letters, Pasiano reminded Jose that the real point of his trip was to pursue, quote-unquote, more useful things, or something that, quote-unquote, he was most inclined to. He suggested that Rizal study in Madrid instead of Barcelona, as he could learn more from Madrid's Filipino community, possibly anticipating the growing collective action of the Philippine activist movement there. In another timeline, it would have been Pasiano 
not Jose, who traveled to Europe. It would have been he that agitated for reforms in the metropole, not his younger brother. But the Cavita mutiny and the execution of Gomburza had ruined any chances for Pasiano to continue his education abroad, where he could have participated in the nationalist movement. His liberal activities and association with Father Burgos made him a target of the friars, with Pasiano's family even refusing to say Burgos's name in their house. Now, the only career that awaited Pasiano was merely managing the family properties. It's not surprising that he placed all his old hopes on his younger brother, Jose, who would be able to enjoy the opportunities that Pasiano no longer had. If Pasiano couldn't do it, maybe Jose could. Except for a few black and Indian prisoners, Rizal was the only non-white passenger on the Salvadora. In his journal, he wrote about how he was able to get along with everyone, and that he even played chess with the captain. He also met a veteran of the recent civil war in Spain between the Carlists and Alfonso XII's supporters, who talked about the battles he fought in. At the same time, he had to stomach continuous criticism of his homeland and people, as well as of the Spanish government. You would think that Rizal would have nodded his head at some of the criticisms hurled towards the colonial regime. But in reality, the ones making them were the very same people who came to the Philippines to exploit the land and natives for all their worth. It was no surprise that such hypocrisy ticked him off. The only person he respected was unofficial was at least honest about his work and defended it. The women were just as bad, if not worse, as they made it sound like you couldn't quote-unquote find a single useful atom in the Philippines because God had lost his providential wisdom there. No wonder Rizal decided to become an eye doctor. All that eye-rolling would have made him blind. In Singapore... Rizal transferred to another ship, the Gemna, and sailed for France. After passing through Sri Lanka and the Suez Canal, the Gemna finally reached the Italian cities of Naples and Sicily. Finally, on June 12, 1882, at 10 p.m., Rizal reached Marseille in France. For a young Filipino from a small town, one could only imagine the reaction of Rizal as he explored all these destinations that he only read about in books or postcards. Now, here he was, in France, the land of Voltaire, Champagne, and the French Revolution, as well as the ancestral home of Spain's royal family, the House of Bourbon. 
Rizal explored Marseille and its sites, such as the zoo and the museums. He also visited some of the friends he made on the ship, including the former alcalde of the Philippine province of Antique and his wife. But no matter how much he loved Marseille, for Rizal, nothing could ever surpass his homeland, and throughout his stay in Europe, he constantly expressed his desire to go home. As he said to one of his travel companions in Marseille, I love my country, and no matter how beautiful Europe is, I still wish to go back to the Philippines. Unfortunately, None of the French seemed to know anything about the Philippines, with everyone whom Rizal met thinking he was Chinese, Japanese, or South American. This understandably upset him, and may have sharpened his already strong determination to destroy everyone's ignorance of his homeland. On June 15, Rizal said goodbye to Marseille and boarded a train for Barcelona. Years later, looking back on his youth, he wrote, We spent long hours of our childhood on the fine sandy beaches of Laguna de Bai, thinking and dreaming of what lay beyond the waves. Almost every day in our town, we saw the Guardia Civil and Alcalde Mayor when he visited, beating and wounding the unarmed peaceful civilian who did not take off his hat and greet them from the distance. In our town, we saw brute force, violence, and other excesses committed by those entrusted to keep the peace. And outside, banditry, as our authorities were powerless against the Tulisanes, bandits. Tyranny awaited us in town, while kidnapping awaited us outside. And I wondered, if in the countries that laid Beyond the other side of the ocean, people lived the same way. If over there, peasants suffered hard, cruel lashes out of the slightest suspicion. If your home was respected. If you needed to bribe tyrants just to live in peace. Now, here he was, three days shy of his 20th birthday, on his way to Mother Spain for the first time. Was Spain really the paradise that the Spaniards back home boasted it to be? Were he and his fellow Indios really that inferior and incapable of looking out for themselves? Rizal was about to find out. This is Philippine History Z, a podcast hosted by me, Eman Lavinia, with Jose Ampil as producer and Marco Revilla as associate producer. Music for this episode is by Kevin MacLeod, Winida Moog, Alexander Nakarada, Sasha Ende, and Rafael Crooks, with sound effects from freesound.org. For a full list of music and sound credits, as well as the source of this episode, check out the show notes on the podcast official site, philippinehistoryz.buzzsprout.com. Also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at PHZ Podcast and on Instagram at Philippine History Z Official. In the next episode, we follow Rizal in his first several years in Europe, participating in his first political activities, making new friends, and finally writing the book that would bring him fame 
and notoriety, Noli Metangere. Once again, this is Philippine History Z. See you in the next chapter.